0: Welcome back to another episode of School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello. Uh, we've got a man down this week, uh, Chris unable to join us this week, but we do have Adam on with us. Adam, how's it going? Uh, it's
1: going all right. Much like the Everton midfield, we're making do with literally the only two players we have left, right? Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what it is.
0: Making Last minute changes here to to do this podcast, put it together for you guys, especially after an Everton win, which you know we don't; those don't come around too often. So we got to so, take our so chances. When we does come. that make you Schneiderlin or Sigurdsson? Um, I don't really want to be either. So can I opt? I'll be, I don't know. I'll be hurt. John Philippe Gabamon, just because I don't want to be either the other team. (laughs) So so we don't
1: actually know how good you are
0: is what you're saying. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. You're a mystery. I like that. Gino, the mystery man. Okay. I'm I'm floating around. I'm floating around. (laughs) I'm there. Uh Um, but like I mentioned, uh, let's get right into it. Let's get into Chelsea. Uh, Everton game. It feels like, uh, it's been a while and a lot of, uh, ups and downs um, for them just a couple of quick things before we really get into it this is the first time everton scored three goals in a game since they played wolves back on september 1st um so that's a pretty um a pretty good good thing for everton and a pretty good stat for for them considering that you know they've had their struggles all over the pitch put put, put a bunch of two goal performances in but um three goals in this one and that's, uh you know specifically dom very good for him um and then Secondly, according to Adam Bate of uh, Sky Sports, Everton have made thirty or Everton made thirty-seven tackles against Chelsea, which is the most by any team in the Premier League all season, and the most by Everton this decade. Uh some pretty good stuff uh for Everton there uh in a in a pretty good performance, uh, Adam.
1: Yeah, you know, um I, I I've seen that that stat obviously made the rounds on on Twitter in the aftermath of that match. I, I don't necessarily like it as much as uh, as some folks do. Obviously, the uh, the fact that the effort was there, that the desire was there is good. I, I don't know if you necessarily want to have to make 37 tackles to, uh, to win a game, but it's nice that in a situation where that was the way that they were going to have to play this weekend, uh, they were able to do it uh, and really do it limiting Chelsea's chances pretty
0: pretty drastically. Yeah, I think, it, like you mentioned, I think that the biggest thing about that stat is it just kind of reflects Everton, effort, Everton's effort on um, Saturday. I mean, that's an effort we haven't seen from this team in a very, very long time, and um, we'll talk about this in a little bit. Maybe it's not something we want to see every single week. It um, is not. It is most – I will, I will double down on that. I don't want to see that every week, but – Yeah, and, and you know, as we saw, injuries come up because of that. Mm-hmm. We're having a, a problem of making substitutions because of injuries towards the end of the game. Um, you know, so uh, obviously not something we want to see every week, but still to see that effort out of a team that has been kind of – lack has been very lackluster for in recent weeks uh, was very, very good. You know, a lot of good from this game, but, you know, what is one thing, maybe aside from the effort, uh, that, you know, you really did like, Adam, that, that stood out to you in this one?
1: Um, I, I was kind of surprised ultimately that I, I was pretty happy with Duncan Ferguson as, as manager. Obviously, as you said, you know, the, the effort is something that I think you can kind of point to him and 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 see his impact on. But I think tactically he pretty much got got it spot on as well. Um, you know, you Chris and and I talked last week uh, about how the the places where you can really hurt Chelsea uh, we're, we're going to be uh, in behind the fullbacks and and we saw you know Theo Walcott get the start out on the right and really looking with Walcott and base speed down the right, getting in behind as Piliqueta. We saw uh, Dom and Richarlison putting pressure on the Chelsea center backs. And I think we saw a very smart decision from Duncan to basically say, hey, we're just not even going to try to play through the Chelsea midfield because our starting midfielders are Morgan Schneiderlin and Gilfie Sigurdsson. And, uh, Conte and Kovacic are absolute, you know, a ball-winning machine. So we're just going to play right over the top of them. And they took away the strengths, uh, of a Chelsea team that's been very good this season and did it, yes, via a lot of effort, a lot of closing down, a very high work rate, but also via the manager coming out and, and getting his tactics right on a day where because Everton was so shorthanded, he had to get them right for the team to really have a
0: chance to win. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, like, you know, talking about Ferguson and, and how he came out and, and how they played, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, they needed to figure out a way to eliminate as much as they could the, the, the midfield problem that they had. Um, and I think they came out, you know, and played it, played it perfectly. And I, you know, one of the things that stood out to me. Um, specifically was their mental fortitude in this game, something we haven't seen from Everton in a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when it was two nothing, they go up two nothing. And then it was immediately after the second goal, they give up, uh, the Kovacic goal and they go down two one or they go up two one. Um, the deficit's cut in half, in half. And a lot of times, especially after a goal like that, where there's not much you can do. And it just seems like, Oh man, like this is happening again. Another goal goes in that, you know, was just a really good shot and, and, you know, see Everton fold, but it felt like in this game uh, that didn't really happen. There was a brief period where, you know, they had to deal with some pressure, but they stuck with it. We stuck in there. Um, They didn't give up, ended up getting the third goal and win this one three one. And I, you know, I think that is one of the biggest takeaways for me in this game because, and I don't know about you, Adam, but I just think that's something we haven't seen in a while.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think just, in general you know there's a lot of praise that should go um to the defensive personnel re- really to to the back eight as it were you know the dunk came out in a 442 um so really all all eight of those guys the the midfield four and the the back four for for really shutting down a Chelsea attack that's been very good this year um Tammy Abraham got got a a pretty good chance that he you know probably should have put away in the in the 25th minute. But I mean, outside of that, Chelsea didn't really generate anything of particular value. Um, You know, the Kovacic goal is one that you just kind of shrug your shoulders at and you go, well, if that guy, you know, picks that spot in the net from, from that distance through that crowd, sometimes you just got to, you know, tip your hat to him and say, nice play. It's obviously a lot Easier to say that when you still win the game three to one. But as you've absolutely said, they didn't really concede a whole lot of chances before that. And the heads didn't go down after the goal went in. It Never really felt like it was going to get away from them. Uh, They just continued to be very solid behind the ball.
0: Yeah. um, You know, it it was a performance unlike we, I think we've seen, um, you know, all year for the most part, uh, maybe a couple other performances, but, but not right now that come to mind that really, uh, showed that same type of mental fortitude where they were able to hang on. Uh, but moving on to, I guess, the less fun to part to talk about. What could have been better, uh, in this game for you, Adam? I mean,
1: if we're being honest, probably not a ton again, when we're, we're taking into consideration the, the personnel limitations that, got handed to, to Big Dunk coming into this with the injuries. Um, you know, I, I think I would have liked to have seen things get played a little quicker in transition. Um, you know, I think we look at the the first goal, the, the Richarlison goal, and that I, I think of as sort of a, you know, quick play out wide, uh, which was kind of the area that they were sort sort of looking to hit. And then the ball comes into Richarlison, and that is really four minutes in. It's the platonic ideal of the goal that you're looking to, to get in this game. And we didn't necessarily see as many chances generated that way as I would have liked. Um, but the, the upshot of that, which I, I think takes us into our our next, you know, kind of topic of conversation, is that despite not generating chances in the the ways that we might have wanted to for a full 90 minutes, uh Dominic Calvert Lewin finds the ball on his foot twice uh in the second half inside the eighteen yard box off of a, a, a mistake from one or more Chelsea defenders. And he puts the ball in the back of the net. Uh and it, it wasn't that Everton necessarily did a ton right to to get that chance, to earn that chance, but but sometimes you know, especially when your your team has been struggling you just got to take that little bit of luck that's given to you and put the ball in the back of the net. When, when the chance arises, it's something that we know Dom has struggled with his finishing at times, but he made no doubt two separate times uh, in the second half to, to put this game away. And to me, that's, you know, the, the good side of, of the bad, that maybe we didn't create as many chances on the counter as we would have liked. But We saw Dom put the ball in the back of the net twice on, you know, crap goal situations. And you you get a guy scoring you some crap goals, uh, more often than not, that'll win you the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, obviously Dom's pressure all game probably played a part in, in some of the mistakes that were made there, and maybe even in in a mistake or two that led to at least one of those goals. Yeah, the third. Yeah. Is this, you know – how is this the best style of play for Dom and and the way he plays his game is this something that you know suits his game um and the way we can get the best out of him
1: well we've we've talked a lot this year about how each of the these options that Everton has at striker kind of brings something different um I actually just wrote a, a piece today Dave recording Wednesday that I think will probably be up on the site by the time that the pod goes live as as well about what dom has has done this year and and what he's been good at and and really Dom is good in these sort of games against these sort of teams because you can really utilize him in one of two ways um you can use him as as the guy who applies the high pressure um and that's definitely something that we've seen uh, under Marco Silva when he tried to to play the press you know. Dom was definitely the best guy for that. Um, And also, when you're in a situation like we were against Chelsea, where it's not so much the high press, but it's, you know, 4 4 2 with eight guys behind the ball, and you're just going to knock the ball up to the big guy up front, and he's either going to shield, you know, shield defenders with his back to the goal to let guys get up into the attack, or with his speed, he can challenge in behind, especially against some of the slower center backs that you see. Either situation he can be good for. He's not so good in the matches against the Burnleys of the world because he doesn't quite have the same technical ability. And I still think that that's, that's a Schenk Tosun or a Moise Keen, um type situation. But th- the guy now has five goals, um, five Premier League goals on 5.04 expected goals. Um, so he's basically finishing at an expected rate and his, uh, uh, expected goals per 90 is the ninth best in the Premier League right now. Only Sergio Aguero, Gabriel Jesus, Marcus Rashford, Tammy Abraham, Chris Wood of Burnley, don't know what he's doing on this list, uh, <laughs> Mohamed Salah, Jamie Vardy, and Raheem Sterling uh are averaging more expected goals per time played than Dominic Calvert-Lewin. So, yeah, I think you have to say that that he's very much proven that in matches like this, he's a very, very dangerous player.
0: You know, sticking with uh, the style of play, Adam. You know, we talked about this a little bit, but this can't be sustainable, right? Uh, in the
1: long, long term, uh, no, not not with the personnel that that this team has right now. I don't think that you know this will magically become a a Leicester City type, you know, bunker encounter all the time type of team. Um, but that said. Uh, we're going to talk about the upcoming match against Manchester United in a little bit. Um, I think that United and Chelsea have some similar strengths and some similar weaknesses such that I, I think a similar Everton performance this coming Sunday to the one that we saw this past Saturday, you know, is has the potential to put Everton in a really good spot to to take points at Old Trafford. But, but we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit, but, but to answer the, the main question, uh, long-term sustainable? Uh, no, no. And I don't think that Duncan Ferguson thinks that it is either. He's just doing the best with what he's got right now.
0: Yeah. And we'll certainly find a little bit more out about that. Um, you know, uh, when they do play Manchester United on Sunday, and we'll talk about that, but before, uh, you know, I want to bring up a tweet that David Alexander Hughes um tweeted out uh, one that's, I guess, been making some of the rounds as well. He said, um, Goodison Park doesn't respond to slow, sweeping, easy on the eye football. It instead thrives on hardworking, aggressive, intense, in-your-face action. Today illustrated that, and it's something the Everton hierarchy need to keep in mind for their next managerial appointment. Adam, is this something you generally agree with? No. No, I don't. Um <laughs> I, I think a, hey, Goodison, I, we're looking for the controversy that this is a good answer. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I think Goodison Park was absolutely was rocking and rolling like crazy when uh, Roberto Martinez's team almost uh, in his first year, or was it a second year, his first year, I think, you know, almost led the team to the top four. Uh, And that was a very much a possession based team, a team that looked to To move the ball, to be on the ball, you know, a complete inverse uh, of what, of what Big Dunk set out to do, um, Saturday against Chelsea. Now, don't get me wrong. The fans at Goodison, just like any, anywhere else are going to appreciate effort, um, and hard work put out in whatever form, you know, that is against Chelsea. It needed to be of the defensive, uh gritty type um but i i don't i think it's a disservice to everton supporters as a whole to say that they are interested in uh type a of football as opposed to type b they want to win and they want the team to be good uh, that's that's the primary goal um the 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 issue that we had with, with Silva toward the end was that, you know, in, in games where, uh, they weren't able to high press teams when other teams sat off, they did kind of play this, this slow, methodical possession based game. But the issue was not that it was not good to look at or aesthetically pleasing or what the fans wanted to see. The issue was that it didn't work, th- that they weren't creating chances regularly. Uh, if, if you're a team that, that creates chances and scores goals and can keep the ball out of its own net, I think Everton supporters are going to love you for it, regardless of what style it is. Um, so for me, I, I just want to see an Everton manager who can get the most out of the players that we have and has a, a plan to, to build a squad in a, a particular vision, whatever that, that vision might be that that makes the squad upwardly mobile again. And I think that most Everton supporters would agree with that sentiment.
0: Yeah, I think that the biggest part is that the Everton supporters just want to see effort out there. I think that's, you know, I feel like that's something that's gotten lost recently. And, and you know, you just obviously with the, the constant changing of manage, uh, of managers mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it, you know, it, it can get um, a little difficult to bring that same effort week in and week out, especially with the poor form. But. You know, I think that the, the Everton fans respond to effort and whatever way that comes in, I think is, um, they'll be happy with. They just want to see effort on the pitch week in and week out. And, um, you know, obviously we got that this past weekend and that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun watching that. Um, and, and hopefully no matter what style of play we play, uh, we can get back to the winning ways and, um, get go to some park rocking again, uh, in the near future, but, as you mentioned, we won't be at Goodison Park this weekend. Uh, we'll be playing Manchester United at Old Trafford. Uh, we'll, let's preview that a little bit. Um, just some quick things on them before we get into it. United find themselves in fifth place right now. They've won their last two matches against Tottenham and Man City. Haven't lost matches. Um, the game is at Old Trafford. The way with all three points at Old Trafford was back in 2013. A pretty memorable one—the uh, Brian Oviedo goal, in, Oviedo goal in the 86th minute uh, to win one nothing as a part of that magical Martinez season. Um, so let's get right into our lineup uh, real quick before we get into Manchester United. Um, do we foresee any changes going into this week?
1: Um, I, I think barring injury, which you know we, we've still got to get. Uh, dunks media availability um, before we can comment on that with total certainty. I think if, if everybody's healthy, I think you do go back to the same lineup. Um, I think that both the performance and the results against Chelsea were what you wanted. And you don't change that in a game against a, a United team that similarly has, you know, some very, very dangerous attackers, some very quick attackers, um, but a, a midfield that lacks creativity and a defense that, that's a little bit prone to, to making a couple of bad mistakes. Um, which is really, you know, how, how Everton beat Chelsea. So if, if everybody is healthy, I think we see that the same 11 guys come out at Old Trafford on Sunday.
0: Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that. Uh the only change that I might make to the lineup and I forgot to mention this a little bit in the um, in, in the review of Chelsea, I'd like to see Amina maybe get back in the lineup there. Um I'm not sure Keane was was that. I don't think Keen was that great. I think he had his fair share of woes in that game as well. Um that could have easily led to goals and we might be talking about more if um they did lead to goals. Uh, so that really would be the only change, but again, you know, a center back partnership that works and only gives up one goal and you win the game. It's hard. It's hard to really change much against that, especially against the, um, a very good attack in Chelsea. Um, you know, I don't know if you've been watching United. I haven't been able to watch them too, too much. Um, but if you have been watching United, Adam, you know, what have they really been doing better, uh, you know, to get them back into this little bit of a winning streak and, uh, uh, point streak they've been, uh, have, have, that they have had going uh, over the past few weeks?
1: Well, the thing about Manchester United is that they have players like Marcus Rashford and Anthony Martial, and those happen to be players who are good at football and <laughs> scoring the goal. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's... Put it I know, <laughs> yeah, no, it feels a little over overly simplified, but it's the truth. You put those two guys out there, and, and Daniel James on the opposite wing as well, who's not necessarily um, the most skilled player that you will ever see, but gosh darn it, he's fast. Um yeah. you know, and you've got three guys with a lot of pace, two of whom have a, a lot of skill as well, both in terms of being creative and in terms of putting the ball in the net themselves. Um, and if you focus on, hey, let's get these guys the ball in wide areas. Let's focus on getting Martial or whomever else, you know, in behind the, the backline. Um, you know, you're looking at a, a team that's got the ability to score goals on you if, if you open up. And again, when you look back at United's results, you know, that they're unbeaten in their last five in the Premier League um which sounds good and it is um but they beat man city and and tottenham the last two weeks which are teams that you know play a little bit more of an expansive style and and open themselves up to being beaten by the pace of guys like Martial and and Rashford and then they've got a 2-2 draw with Aston Villa a 3-3 draw with Sheffield United and a 3-1 win um over Brighton so although there's obviously Some good results in there. You also have to recognize that this is a team that's been conceding its fair share of goals as well, Um, and that's not something that I think you can necessarily change right now based on the personnel that they have available to them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's a, that's a really good point. Um, I didn't think about that in terms of the playing style and whatnot of, of Tottenham, Manchester City. Uh, you generally just, you know, you, you do the eye test and you look at the teams and you're like, wow, okay, it looks like Manchester United might be turning it around, but you're absolutely right. I mean, um, they've had their fair share of woes in, in the games against Sheffield United, which in, in all fairness, probably should have lost that one. Um, and then of course Aston Villa where they, they tied, um, or drew Aston Villa, but, a quick question for you: Is Daniel James uh, James on the right side for them? Yeah, um, my Sorry.
1: I I believe that they've been playing uh, Martial up top, Rashford left, and James right.
0: Yeah, so that actually is a really interesting thing for me. That could be a change we see in the lineup. It really depends on how Lucas Digne is feeling because that groin injury uh, against a fast winger like that could cause problems for him. Um, I mean, and
1: Leighton Baines age of 130 would also cause problems <laughs> against a fast winger like him.
0: Yeah. So that could be, that could be an interesting uh matchup yeah. on that side that we might have to look at there. So, uh, again, we don't know yet because we haven't heard Duncan Ferguson talk about the injuries yet this week, um, at time of recording, but that's definitely something to look out for down that right side. Um, and the left side of Everton's defense, um, in terms of how that's going to play out. But, um, you know, another thing about Man United and, and really the results that they've had, do you think that this, you know, I know that you mentioned that, you know, they've had the benefit of the teams that they're playing, um, you know, and, and, and the styles that they play, but has have the last two wins really saved Ole's job for, for at least the foreseeable future?
1: Um. I think it's possible. I mean, when you look right now at at the top, you know, the top three in the Premier League. You know, I don't don't think there's really any arguing, you know, that that Liverpool, Man City, and and Leicester are all you know uh, pretty obviously a, a step above uh, the rest of the league. Um, Chelsea's in fourth right now on 29 points, and then United's in in fifth on 24. So they're still right right in that race for fourth place. Um They're still obviously alive in the Europa League as well. They've got a match uh tomorrow that they've got to at least get a, a, a point in to win the group, but they're already through. So they'll be through into the round of 32 in the Europa League. Uh, even if United, you know, had been performing – in the way that we've seen them in recent matches throughout the season, I don't know if you can feasibly look for the the roster that Ole's got at his disposal right now to be doing a whole lot more than what it is. You know, you, you look in the midfield, you look at the back line. It's it's not great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <no,
0: laughs> you know,
1: I, I, I mean, United went to uh to Manchester City last week. Uh, and, and basically played a, a 4-2-3-1 where their two was Fred and Scott McTominay. Um, and, and credit to them. They did the job. They, you know, they had like 28% possession in that game. Yeah, 28% possession. Um, so they, you know, they did what they needed to do defensively, but that's not a group that's going to get you a whole lot in terms of moving the ball forward. Um, Nemanja Matic has been hurt. He's close to a return. But again, is is Matic going to do that for you either? They've got so many problems in terms of their personnel, and that's before we even talk about the center back situation. Um, To me... I, I don't necessarily think Ole Gunnar uh, Solskjaer is a particularly good manager, but I also don't think that there are a whole lot of managers out there that could get a whole lot more out of United than he has so far this
0: year. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think they're kind of in limbo in that factor where, like it, like you said, there's not really many managers that are going to be able to get more out of the squad that they currently have, and, and I agree. I don't think Ole is that great of a manager. Um and I think we've seen that and I think there's evidence behind that. Um, but at this current point in time, you know, getting a couple wins, they're still in fifth place, still in the Europa League. I'm not sure there can be any really cause to fire him, especially with not many guys out there who can do. You may, you may think they could, but, um, you know, I think that there's more problems to this Man United team than the way they're being managed. And, um, those need to be addressed first before, before addressing um the manager yeah agreed uh, moving on to you know just the game and uh specifically what do you think man united do well that will cause everton problems this weekend well
1: i think you have hit the nail on the head um that the 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 wide areas specifically um daniel james's pace against whomever our left back is going to be um could be problematic you know i think that that dunkel set the team up specifically to to sit deep and try not to get beat by that that pace out wide uh, obviously sidibe can can move a lot better than dinya or baines can um, so i'm not as worried about the the opposite side and, and then just the recognition that in addition to raw pace you know anthony martial and and marcus rashford are both players who if you give them a, a half yard of space, if you switch off for just half a second, um, and they find the ball in or around the 18 yard box, they can really make you pay. Um, so it's going to be vital that, especially from guys like Mason Holgate and Michael Keane or whomever plays, plays center back, because we've seen all the center backs have issues with, you know, staying locked in for 90 minutes this season, um, that they're constantly aware of where those guys are moving off the ball because uh, if one pops open just for half a second, the ball's going to be in the back of your net.
0: Yeah, I, I that's exactly what I was going to point out, too. I think, you know, maybe less from a, and I, I know this probably isn't going to go over well, but less from a Holgate standpoint because of his pace and his ability mm-hmm. to maybe make up for for being in the wrong position and more of a whether it be Keen or Mina. You know, we've seen both those guys have trouble with speed, and we know that neither of those guys has a lot of pace. Um, so they're going to have to make sure they're in the right position because like you said, those guys will get in behind, um, even with just one yard. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, you get that to happen a couple of times and, and you're, you're looking at two goals given up and now you got to score a couple goals yourself, um, just to, just to get a point out of it. So that's definitely something I I agree with. And I could see, um, being a problem for Everton, what Everton need to do, I guess, on the other side of it to come out with a win in this one.
1: Well, so I think that uh, you know we've we've obviously just touched on kind of the the inverse of, of that um, yeah. is, is that you know and I, I, the center backs are going to need to be constantly aware uh, of the movement of of those those two players. Um, I, I think that because Everton will likely come out looking to play a deep line that will. Negate a little bit of the concern about those guys getting in behind the center backs, um, managing the space between the two blocks of four, the two Everton's two defensive blocks of four, um, will be critical, uh, maybe even more than worrying about what gets in behind, depending on how deep, uh, deep they sit. But I think that the, the key for success Against United is like I said is, is going to be pretty similar to what it was against Chelsea. Um, much like Chelsea when they they rolled out that the the midfield uh, the back midfield pairing with uh, Kovacic and, and Conte is not necessarily um, the most creative group out of the midfield. Um, it's going to be the same for United that if if Everton can successfully sit deep can always have guys behind the ball. Um, you know, you're not gonna expect that a guy like Fred, a guy like Scott McTominay, uh, or whomever else gets thrown into the midfield, Andres Pereira, uh, uh Paul Pogba is not, you know, not expected to play, still coming back from injury. He's obviously the one guy that would worry you in a, in a vacuum. Uh, so if Everton can keep that defensive shape solid, United is going to struggle to score goals. Uh, because yeah. they just don't have the midfielders to break down a, a defense like that. And then you just hope that you can get in behind the not particularly quick, uh, Victor Lindelof and Harry Maguire. Uh, and, and that's going to be, you know, uh, the key. It's the, I think that the major shift from the Chelsea match is that against Chelsea, I definitely think, uh, the game plan was to try to exploit the fullbacks. I think against United, uh who who have Aaron Wan-Bissaka on one side who is maybe the best pure defensive fullback in the world and and Luke Shaw who's by no means a scrub in his own right uh are definitely stronger fullbacks than what Chelsea has so i think you look to try to uh, attack the lack of pace that Lindelof and uh uh old slabhead have in the center of the united defense uh using Albert Lewin and, and probably Richarlison in a front two again.
0: Yeah. And I, I was, you know, building off of that, um, you know, with that front two, if you can get a, like, if they go out with the same lineup, you have a Woby on the, on the left and mm-hmm. Walcott was on the right, I believe, to start that game. Um, you know, that gives you, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but that gives you some guys who can find those key passes. Um, and, and find those guys in behind, uh, that defense, um, that could really, you know, open up some chances on, on that there. Um, predictions for this one? Um, I, I went, um,
1: 2-1 to United. Um, I, I like a lot of the, the ways that this ultimately lines up for Everton. I, I just don't trust their, uh, form, uh, away from home is, is really what it comes down to. Especially um, against the top six too. Yeah um you know and that's absolutely it as much as i like a lot of things about this matchup it just the history has been too frequently that we make one or two bad mistakes in away matches like these and despite playing pretty well uh come away with nothing and i think that's that's what we'll see in a in a 2-1 united victory
0: Yeah, it's almost like everything tells you, oh, it could go this way. And everything about your Everton mindset tells you that because it could go this way, it's definitely going to go the other way. Um, you know, kind of the way we've been playing here, (laughs) I guess you could say over the past few years. Um, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm going to go, I'm going to go a little bit more optimistic. I'm going to say a draw, two, two draw. I think Everton can get a couple goals, but I do, as you said, I, I agree with you in the sense that they will give up a couple goals. Um, so I'm going to go with a 2-2 draw in this one. Quickly, uh, let's hit on the Leicester Carabao Cup quarterfinals match because we will not talk again before this. Um, obviously, this is the quarterfinals, the first time Everton have been here since 2016. Um, that year, I believe they lost to Manchester City in the semis of the Carabao Cup or League Cup, whatever it was called back then. Um, <laughs> Already lost 2-1 to Leicester this year on that last-second goal that we all remember very vividly because uh, it was only two weeks ago. Um, Leicester have won their last nine in all competitions. From a Leicester perspective – or excuse me, from a, from an Everton perspective, do we expect a full-strength lineup? And if not, where are the changes?
1: Uh, I would be stunned if Everton does not come out with a full-strength lineup here. Agreed. Um, I, I, I know – uh, obviously, United this weekend, Arsenal uh, next weekend. So, so you're looking at at talented teams. But I mean, the reality is that you have to look at the table. And and although now you know you feel a little bit better seeing 14th as opposed to 17th or 18th, um, it's it's a lot of teams that Everton needs to to pass to to wind up in the top five or six. This might be their their best opportunity to to really make a mark this year. Um and even if it's the Carabao Cup and it's the you know, my joke with the 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 League Cup always is that it's the competition that nobody cares about until you win it and then it's a real competition. Um yeah. and so uh we're now close enough that we can start talking about winning it. So now I care about it. And yeah, I, I would be very surprised if Everton doesn't come out with pretty much a full strength lineup for this one.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think they should come out with a full-strength lineup. I think this is where they like like you mentioned. I think, you know, obviously they have to figure out how to, you know, I think right now it's just about trying to probably get mid-table by the end of the season and figure things out going into next season, which seems to be what we're doing every year, but again, we're in that position and and you know, now that we have a chance at this uh at a title and a trophy, I think this should become one of the top priorities um for us um and And you know we'll go ahead and write in, and i you know i think this and I think you agree that this is pretty high on our priority list with everything else going on, and I think if we could win this one, it would at least give um you know some you know i mean from, I, you know I, this, to me this season
1: th- yeah the the season's a success, yeah i, I mean and, and that's I know that's crazy to say. Um, but if you don't get relegated and you win one of the domestic cups, I mean, if you'd offered that to any Everton supporter at the start of the season, they would have bit your hand off to take it. It's been so long since there's been silverware here. Yeah. Um, So, I, I mean, you know, that's, that's the level of, of stakes that, that we're talking about. Um, obviously still a long way to go before, you know, we're, we're seriously talking about winning the thing. Um. But, yeah, that has to be the attitude going into it, especially, and, you know, nobody at the club would ever admit this, but it's it's true. Once you draw, you know, at Liverpool in the, the third round of the FA Cup, you're probably not winning the FA Cup, are you? Um,
0: yeah. So, no. so, so
1: the League Cup becomes doubly important because, you know, th- this is it. This is very feasibly, you know, could be... Everton's last chance to, to make a meaningful mark on this season um, with the way that, that some you know, a lot of things have panned out already.
0: Yep. No, absolutely. Absolutely agree on that. Leicester, a little bit different of a situation for them. They're second in the Premier League. Obviously, they would like to win this trophy, but they'll have Norwich this weekend. Then they have Man City um, the weekend after, and then Liverpool mm-hmm. on a short week after that. Do we expect them to come out in a full strength lineup in this matchup? Uh, tough
1: to say. Um, I definitely think they're more likely to to rest some guys um, than than we are. Um, they are eight points back in the title race. Um, the way that Liverpool is playing right now, that eight points feels like eighty. Um, but I, I mean, it's not it's not an insurmountable. <laughs> Well, we Killed.
0: found that out last year, and I mean, granted, this this Leicester City team is no Manchester City, but we found out last year that yeah. even up at Chris at the at the Christmas uh, point of the season, when Liverpool were up what ten points, you know, it's, it's yeah, you know, not it's
1: It's absolutely doable, and I think that Leicester will look at the Man City match uh, next weekend and then the Liverpool match on Boxing Day, and, and think, well, you know uh, that they probably need to come away with six points from that if they want to legitimately be in the title race on, you know, come January 1st. Uh, And when you're in a situation where you can even be talking about that, then the quarterfinal of the League Cup kind of loses a little bit of its luster, I think. Yeah. Um, So I don't, I don't expect, you know, a wholesale B team or anything like that, you know, from Leicester City. But this is a team that, you know, has multiple players who are absolutely, you know, every week never rotate out guys when you look at guys like like Johnny Evans, like uh James Madison and Yorky Ellemans, Jamie Vardy obviously, Wilfred Ndidi, who maybe not all of them rest, but maybe two of them do. Um especially given uh the way that Kalechi Igenacho has come on yep, since scoring exactly against Everton. Thing. You know that maybe this is a game where you rest Vardy at least from the off, and you let Ianacho start up front. Yep. Um. Not that that will bring a whole lot of uh, solace ever to Everton supporters yeah, exactly. at this particular. Not, point. not make us
0: feel any bit better about um, situation. But but it's something that you could see, definitely. Um. You know that's exactly where I was going as well. That's a, a change I could definitely see being made. Um. Uh, you know, if Ferguson is still in charge, which I don't know, I I feel like at this point, if he's going to be in charge for the match, he would probably be in charge for the Leicester match as well. Um, how does, how do you think his style of play will will differ from the last time these two teams played and and will it end up making a difference in the end? Um, you know, I I frankly
1: don't know if I think it's, it's going to be a whole lot different. You know, Everton got out possessed 70 to 30 on the day uh yeah. against Leicester um you know he uh, Silva rolled that the five at the back again that was really more out of necessity and and uh, the numbers game of who he had available to him um than anything else uh, you know i think dunk would probably especially if we get a result against united would probably stick with his 442 but at the end of the day the tactics are going to be pretty much the same. It's going to be sitting behind the ball and, and challenging Leicester to to break uh, break us down uh, in the half court, so to speak, and then looking to to hit on the counterattack again. And, I mean, Everton did get a goal in that game playing that way. Um, and really, things only fell apart for Everton in that match because they were in that back, back five in which the center backs looked extremely uncomfortable the whole yeah. way. So I don't think that you have to squint really hard, um, to, to see ever a, a similarly, uh, constructed Everton, but with a back four instead of a back five, pulling a result out of this one because they just, you know, did, came very close to, to doing the same. Um, at Leicester a couple of weeks ago
0: yeah in a formation that like you mentioned they were not comfortable not, not familiar <laughs> it's the, yeah the, exactly the nice so, way to put it <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the four four two changes things up if if uh especially if they get a result on um on Sunday and see how that you know I think that Leicester much like we would like to probably like to play on the counter and you know when they have to attack us and try and break down our defense, I think that puts them at a tiny bit disadvantages in terms of the way they like to play typically. Um, well,
1: and, and we've we've seen them kind of transition under Brendan Rodgers. They remain a team, obviously with with Vardy up front and with Wilfred and Didi, uh kind of playing the angolo Conte role and doing it very well. Um, they are certainly a team that that can beat you playing a bunker and counter style, but you're also looking at a midfield that's got. Uh, James Madison and Yuri yeah. T. elements and, and can can break you down um, at times as well. So it's a it's a Leicester team that is more comfortable in possession than they have been in past years. Uh, so even though that is the thing that Everton will probably look to thrust upon Leicester, uh, those, you know, that James Madison and Yuri T. elements are still darn good footballers.
0: Yeah, no, totally agree. That James Madison, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, definitely someone to look at there as someone who can break down the defenses and play that way if need be. Uh, but real quick, before we move on to the final segment here, um, realistically, you know, what are the chances of winning this match? Throw a prediction in there. Uh, what do you got? <sighs> It'll be, uh, it, like we said, it's a little tough because you can't
1: really be sure what Lester will roll out there. I think the fact that this gets winds up being a home match plays to our advantage. Uh, Realistically, I I don't think it is a stretch in any way to say that Everton has a decent chance to win this match, Um, especially if the performance against United is good. you know what i um even i'm gonna go for it i'll I'll take everton uh two to one uh to win, and I can't believe I just said it, but here we are
0: <laughs> yeah that's I'm trying to be a little bit more optimistic so i'm g i am I was going with leaning everton two one two hoping that you know plus rests enough guys that you know are mixed with our uh you know form hopefully going into that game. <laughs>
1: Or at yeah. least our, our
0: effort going to that game. Um, um, you know, hoping that that helps us pull out a win that one and, and keep moving on, but moving on to the final segment here. Um, you know, a little bit different here. We're going to break. We're going to like take a look at some of the things that have been discussed over the past week. Uh, call it toffee topics. Um, you know, something that has come up over the week. That's something that's good to talk about that we haven't discussed because it came up after we, um, we recorded the podcast last week. So, you know, with that, let's break down some of the stories that have been surrounding Everton. And I think the biggest one that we need to break down right away is the managerial search. So far, it looks like Moyes and Ancelotti are the two main targets or main people being discussed for this um, job. We've discussed Moyes already in the last episode, if you guys want to go take a look in that. Um, but opinions on Ancelotti. No
1: thanks, I'm good.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, he,
1: you know, there have been stretches of of his career where he's done very good good things, um, and, and I don't mean to um, disparage his overall body of work. Um, I just, you know, the the last five teams that he's managed uh, were Napoli, where he was just sacked, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid. P.S.G. and Chelsea, um, and the thing about all of those teams is that he came to them when they had a lot more talent than Everton has right now, and they all, maybe with the exception of Napoli, uh, but Napoli has so much more talent than Everton does right now. All had bigger budgets than than Everton does even now with you know w- with Mashiri on board. Why why is that a guy who would who you would identify as somebody who could come to a club where Everton is right now and, and fix it. Uh, To me that it's just, it's nonsense. Um, It's, it's a manager who's a big name because he's done big things at big clubs, but I I don't necessarily think that qualifies him to take on a project uh, similar to the one that Everton
0: is facing right now. Yeah. I, I think that, the part that interests a lot of Everton fans is that he's the big name. He's we're not mm-hmm. going for that, you know, bottom of the bin, you know, lower level premier league manager that we have in the, the past few years or the past few managerial appointments. Um, But that's really where it stops. Um, You know, he's a big name. He has won trophies, but, and it's really interesting that he would even um entertain an offer from Everton. You would think that, you know, a guy like that who has managed clubs with such talent would want to go, you know, would, would wait it out. It's not like he has to take this Everton job. I'm sure he's, he's doing pretty well himself without taking the Everton job. So it's, it's a little interesting that it interests him in the first place, considering like we've mentioned his past. Um, but I think that Everton fans are getting wrapped up. You know, a lot of what we've seen online is, you know, Everton fans really love Ancelotti and, and really love the idea of bringing him in, but. I think it's a lot of us getting wrapped up in the fact that he's a big name who has won trophies, but not really looking into developing, um, you know, the team that we have right now and pulling us up from the ground like needs to be done. Um, this team doesn't have the talent that basically every other team and, and, you know, every other team that he's managed, uh, recently has had. And, and that's something definitely to look at, um, when we're looking at Ancelotti as, as a manager. Totally agreed. Yeah. I you know, another name that's been, you know, linked briefly. Um, said that he's had a meeting with Moshiri and Kenwright already. Um, you know, how true that is, we don't know. But Unai Emery, who just was sacked by Arsenal. He's one he's the really the only other name that we've seen linked more than once that's still available and hasn't turned us down. Um what are your opinions on him? Emery is an
1: interesting one. Um because uh I- I, I think you you look at his stints um at Arsenal and at PSG and you you really kind of have to call both of them pretty much failures, un- unmitigated failures. And I know he won a couple of you know he won uh, Ligue 1 in in France with with PSG once, but I mean You you really should win the French League with PSG every year that that they're in it. Um, You know, obviously had that historic capitulation against Barcelona in the Champions League. Um, And then at Arsenal, obviously those are the situation at Arsenal. I'm sure our listeners are plenty familiar with. Um, as well, but I, I think the most comparable experience that he has on his resume, from um, that to what he'd find at Everton, is Sevilla, where he spent you know four seasons, uh, three or four seasons at Sevilla, and and won the Europa League three times and finishing you know fourth or fifth in La Liga pretty much every year. And that is the sort of place that Everton kind of fancies itself to be right now. Is, is he still that manager that he was six or seven years ago when he was doing that at Sevilla? And it's just that the bigger clubs have, have been too much of a challenge for him or, or has he changed? Uh, you know, I'm not totally comfortable speculating on that at this point. What I will say is that. The Sevilla, his Sevilla tenure makes him one of the most interesting and attractive candidates to be linked to the job so far. But obviously, the stints at PSG and Arsenal are red flags that make it far from a sure thing.
0: Yep. No, I think that, you know, when you look at his Sevilla um, and this is really all I'll say before I move on, um, when you look at his Sevilla record, Um, and what he did with that team, if you look at that, you're like, okay, out of Ancelotti, Moyes and, and him, he is the best suited to take on the challenge that we have here at this club. But obviously, like you said, the, um, you know, the problems at at Arsenal and PSG, two clubs that have a ton of money, um, that have the, a ton of quality players, the failures there obviously worry you a little bit, um, and worry you that, you know, Maybe things are headed in the wrong direction for him. But at the same time, who knows? Maybe like you said, those challenges were just too big and, and he's looking to get back to a club that's um, you know, a little lower down in the table and and a little bit more of a project and, and he can work with that. And, you know, I think like you said, that's what makes him one of the more attractive um candidates that we've been linked with um since the sacking of Marco Silva. Moving on now, uh, you know, a couple of interesting stats came up over the course of the past week. First off, we'll go back to David Alexander-Hughes, who, who came up with this stat, um, or who posted this stat, I should say. Um, It was top 10 for key passes per 90 in the Premier League this season. And when you look down the list, you find Alex Iwobi is fifth overall on that list. And Theo Walcott is down at 10 on that list. What does this really say about um you know specifically we'll look at Iwobi, but um you know really both sides of the Everton play um for these two wingers who um Iwobi, you know just starting to get into the into the Everton squad now and um in his first season and Walcott, who's been here for a while
1: yeah well you know i think Iwobi has absolutely you know Barnon made his case that he, at this point that he needs to be um you know a a first 11 player um whether his best position is ultimately out wide on the left um, or at the 10. Uh, I don't really know yet necessarily. Um, a lot of that will also depend on what the next manager thinks of Gilfie Sigurdsson and Bernard as well, because both of those guys are obviously guys who who can be starters, and that could impact where Owobi plays. Um, but in terms of Owobi's creativity, he has been pretty much you know as advertised uh, when he was brought in um he's still without a, an assist in the premier league but that's really more about um <laughs> just some bad luck in terms of not having his chances finished he's got yeah. uh, his expected assists is 1.66 uh so you know, you would expect between one and two goal, or one and two assists, and he just doesn't have one yet at this point. That doesn't really concern me. The Walcott one um, is a little bit more interesting, just because uh, Walcott historically has not been a great um, distributor of the ball, not particularly good creating chances for other players. I think we got a little misled um, in in his. First stint as an Everton player in in 2018, when he came in in January, he picked up three assists in 14 appearances. Um, that that three assists is like the most he's he's had in a Premier League season, at least as far back as understat goes, which is 2014-15. Um, but he has looked consistently like he is getting more and more involved in creative play, in build up, in getting crosses into the box. Um, and it it gives Everton a lot more flexibility, uh, in terms of what what we can do with our wingers. Yeah. Um, be, because there was a time because Richarlison still yep. I, I don't necessarily trust creatively, although his creative numbers are up this year as well. Um, both guys. Uh, it, it, it was a troubling proposition to think about playing both of those guys together because you didn't trust either of them to be a creative force. Um, they are both getting a little bit more involved in the playmaking side of things and that gives you options in terms of potentially playing them both together or playing Richarlison at, at striker in a two man, like we've seen Dunk do with, with Theo on the right. So it's just encouraging to see, um, that we've got guys who give us options out wide.
0: Yeah, no, I, I was going to hit on the Richarlison, it, you know, just like you said, you know, it gives us options. It, you know, it's the good thing is that, you know, with Theo can keep producing, you know, creatively at this rate, or maybe a little under this. I'm not sure it's realistic to expect him to keep doing this for a long time, but if he can, or for for the course of the season, but you know, if he can keep doing that, it allows Richarlison to be more of that run at the defender Less creative type of winger because it, when we inevitably probably end up going back to, um, you know, just one striker up top for, you know, majority of the games, um, where Charleston's going to need to place the blade. He's going to have to play on that wing, which means, um, you know, obviously like we've, we've mentioned, it creates an interesting spot for a and whether he gets into that center attacking midi role. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's you know good to see those numbers coming across for a couple of our players and and like you said you know the finishing hasn't been there and that's why I think that they don't have the assists that they should have but um but but good creative play from them and that's always good to see from from those guys um the second one was uh Sidibe um you know we praised him a lot for going forward recently he has had a couple great assists in his last in the last two Premier League games um but EFC Stato, uh, posted a, a graph of, uh, tacklers in the Premier League this season and Jabril Sidibe finds himself at near five successful tackles per 90, um, and a tackle success rate of between 75% and 80%, which is largely all alone. Um, there's like four players even in the vicinity there. Um, you know, so I, you know, I think this shows us how good he's been mm-hmm. defensively as well as offensively. Right, Adam?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, it, it took him it, – it's really doubly impressive when you consider that the first two or three times that he played this season, he did not look particularly good. Um, You know, it definitely took him a little while to get rolling, which was understandable. Um, But really, over the, the course of the last two months, Um, we're seeing a guy who looks like, um, you know, he could be the starting right back for the defending world cup champions, you know, pretty, pretty easily. Um, and that's both in his attack and his defense, as we said last week, every week that passes, it gets more and more obvious that Everton will, uh, exercise their right to, to buy on him and, you know, swoop in and take him from from Monaco uh, I don't rightly know what that will mean for Seamus Coleman and John Joe Kenny going forward but that's a discussion for another day um yeah. but yeah both both in defense and attack he has been superb um and deserves all of the praise that he's been getting
0: yep no I totally agree and uh you know I, I think you're right I think each day we 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 kind get one step closer to him being uh moved over here permanently and you know Having Dinier and him as our as our fullbacks is, is not a not too bad of a pairing uh, <laughs> moving forward. So so I'm happy with that. But the final thing here to touch upon, um, you know, don't make me do it, Gino. Don't make me do it. We have to do it because no, it's been no, no. Ibrahimovic has been brought up uh, more than once over the past couple of days as about a, as a player that might be brought in by Everton. Like, I mean, we already know your answer, Adam, but expand on the dislike for this for this move.
1: Don't, okay, so so let me let me preface this by saying that I, you know, I am a guy who watches a fair bit of MLS, and Zlatan Ibrahimovic can still score the football. The guy had 30 goals in 29 matches in in MLS last season, um, which I know if for any of our English listeners may you know say, oh well, it's MLS, blah blah blah. But 30 goals in 29 matches in any league is a lot of goals. Um, and on an LA Galaxy team that is not good, just, just not good at all for a lot of reasons that I won't get into because they don't matter for this particular, (laughs) uh, on this particular podcast. Um, but Everton, he, he just, his fit in terms of stylistically, um, you really, if you're going to play him, you either need to play through him a hundred percent or accept that he's going to be a non-entity for 89 minutes out of the match. And he's going to pop up in the box, you know, every time you cross it and try to get on the end of it. And that'll be all that you get out of him. Now, if you're, in MLS, which is a, a league that has less talent than the premier league, or you're a team that's got guys that can just put the ball on his foot in the box and let him do what he does best. Uh, great. Take him. There's absolutely still a market for this guy because he can a hundred percent still play. Um, but he doesn't fit into either of those categories, um, in terms of a, a fit at Everton. And that doesn't even begin to broach the subject of the personality nightmare. Um, that yeah. the guy is. So to me, it's, it's a non-starter. Uh, you don't want to be putting another guy between, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and, and, and Moise Keen, uh, getting time. I think we've seen what Shank Tosun can do against some of the, uh, more conservative teams in the league and that he can be a fit in those matches as well. We've seen what Richarlison can do in a two-man front. Uh, I, I don't think that Everton needs to add any striker. Uh, this January, much less um, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. No way. Yeah, no.
0: Totally agree. Um, you know, I, I, I you hit the nail on the head. Um, Everton are not in a position that they need a guy like Zlatan Ibrahimovic to come to their team. They have a lot more problems than than getting a guy like him to get up there and score goals. Obviously, would help. Um, but right now, they need to build their team and build this this club. Um, and, and, you know, a 38 year old on Ibrahimovic, um, who, you know, who knows what's going to happen with him, where his attitude will be, how that'll affect the locker room is, is certainly not something that we need at Everton right now. Um, Adam, any last things you want to say before we wrap this thing up? Uh,
1: n- not too much that we haven't already covered. You know, I think the, the feel good factor from, from last week's match obviously can't be be overstated um, and was exactly what the team needed. But again, I, I just want to give Duncan Ferguson credit, not only for uh, getting effort out of his teams and catching that ball kid when he jumped into his arms um, <laughs> and just doing a lot of jumping and waving, but but getting his tactics right and, and clearly being ready to play against Chelsea in a specific way that played to his team's strengths, that played to Chelsea's weaknesses, um, and, and though, I, you know, that doesn't necessarily make me think anymore now, uh, that he's a long-term answer at manager, uh, that performance, the way that he handled the team, the way that he handled pretty much everything from the moment that Marco got sacked until right now, um, makes me feel like if it needs to be a month, if it needs to be three months, if it needs to be to the end of the season that he's in charge for Everton to be able to do the right thing for itself at manager long-term, I'm comfortable with that. Um And that's a good place to be, and it's certainly a better place to be than we would be if they had, say, put David Unsworth in charge again. Um So good on the club for trusting him, and good on him for making good on that trust in the early going.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We didn't talk about him enough this podcast, um, but Duncan Ferguson – unbelievable stuff this uh this weekend really really fun to watch him really brought some excitement back to and really brought some fun back to watching Everton you know there were points there where you got you saw him running down the touchline you kind of got chills knowing what it's like in the stadium there um or in and in, in Goodison Park and you know thinking about what that atmosphere was like because it was just such a cool moment to see that club legend um come in handle everything like you said perfectly and and um you know really do a great job and and you know bring some fun and excitement back to Everton football which uh hasn't been a, a common sight the past few uh really few years um but that's all we have for you guys today um you know we uh we've discussed everything we have uh go toffees got the game against Manchester United and then Leicester hopefully hoping for two wins that'd be pretty cool um but either way we will talk to you guys next Wednesday um we'll see you then